Hello, everybody. This is Steve Smith at WCG Patient Radio. WCG is a company focused on the ethical, safe, and efficient conduct of clinical trials to bring more medicines to patients with unmet medical needs. We're speaking today with Mr. Jeffrey Borghoff about his diagnosis at age 51 of Alzheimer's disease. Jeff is a software architect and developer, and he's a board member of the Greater New Jersey chapter of the Alzheimer's Association and a national spokesperson for the Alzheimer's Association and a participant in the Alzheimer's Association's early advisory group. Hello, Jeff. Hello, good morning. I'm very uh, happy to be here with with you this morning. It's an honor to have you here, Jeff. Many people think of Alzheimer's disease as something that happens to elderly people. And you are relatively young for a person with Alzheimer's. How did you come to know that you had Alzheimer's? And is that unusual for someone you're so young as you to be diagnosed? Well, in general terms, we think of uh, dementia. Uh, it's an umbrella term for for several um, neurodegenerative diseases and Alzheimer's disease being one of them. But in general terms, we think of dementia as being a, a, a set of symptoms that happens to people who are older. Um, you know, over the age of 65, uh, you know, in, in their 70s and their 80s, uh, your grandparents living in an assisted living uh, sort of scenario. Um, but in fact, uh, they they are neurodegenerative diseases, and they can uh, occur uh, in the uh, young, what's called younger onset. And that's uh, my case. I was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease at the age of 51 in 2016. And um, if you look at the statistics, uh, there it's about 10% of the population of people who have been diagnosed uh, in, in the country, uh, which is about uh, 5.8 to anywhere from 5.8 to 6 million people nationally, uh, you know, t- 10% of that is uh, are, are people in the population of younger onset, early stage Alzheimer's disease. And, and honestly, I think that number is probably greater because uh, many people uh, are reluctant to uh, get a diagnosis uh, of, of a dementia at such an early age. And um, I can tell you from my experience living with the disease now for four, uh, four or five years that uh, that uh, um, you, there are people in the community of of uh, living with Alzheimer's disease where you know I I know folks who are in their uh, 30s um, who have been diagnosed. So uh, it, it definitely is a myth. Uh, with regard to uh, um, the age, um, and uh, I, I, I think that's um, uh, one of the things that uh, you know it's good to uh, communicate and really make it more knowledgeable, people more knowledgeable about the uh, what, you know, what is Alzheimer's disease, what is dementia, and when when it can affect you. Um, and, and so, uh, uh, so yeah, it was, uh, uh, I was, again, I was diagnosed when I was uh, 51 years old. So how has this, um, impacted your life and the things that you do every day? Well, now when I was originally diagnosed, it, 
you know, certainly it, it, it was a gut punch, uh, to be honest with you. I, I, I was having some neurological issues which brought us to the diagnosis. Um, and, and so my, I really had to do a, a kind of a 180 uh, on, uh, you know, with my life. Uh, and because at that point, at that juncture in my life, I, I had to retire. Um, I gave up my, my license, uh, to drive. Um, and, and, and so, you know, there, there, there was a drastic change in my lifestyle and, um, you know, those things were necessary. Um, I needed to, uh, retire, uh, because I could no longer do or function in the capacity that I was functioning in with my work as a software architect. Um, uh, you know, I could no longer drive because uh, I was uh, had lost uh, lost uh, some of the the decision cognitive abilities that I I, I formerly had. Um, and so, uh, what happens is is uh, you end up re reprioritizing your life and kind of uh, uh, taking an inventory of the things that really matter in your life and and then reprioritizing your life around those things and uh and and since then uh i've, I've been pretty successful at that uh I've, lead, I've been leading a very purposeful uh engaging uh joyful life um regardless of the fact that you know with all intent and purposes i i i, I do have a terminal disease and you're married and you and your wife have three children is that right that's correct. Yes, we do. Yes, yes. Um, uh, we have uh, our, our three uh, children, young adults, uh, are uh, college graduates. Um, uh, you know, on on the uh, path to leading very successful lives on their own. And uh, my my wife, uh, who is my care uh, partner, um, wife and care partner, is uh, is uh, doing very well as well she's a an amazing uh care partner and i say care partner because uh at this juncture in our lives uh because i'm still living independently for the most part um there's a distinction between care partner and caregiver um you know my wife really doesn't need to do much for me uh, um uh and so it's more of a care partner role uh whereas if uh you know if the disease progresses which we hope uh given some other uh things that we're doing that it it progresses very slowly um that uh you know at some point she will be a caregiver uh where uh, she may need to do more for me than than I could do for myself uh, but uh but yes uh wife and uh, three young adult uh, children i know it's a it's a whole family um thing um that ha- uh, on a daily basis when somebody has uh, Alzheimer's disease that everybody um, there is impacted. And um, in your case, I know that you um, got together as a family and um, did, did some things to deal with it, including, I believe, um, does your wife go on the road with you speaking to others about Alzheimer's disease? Oh, yes. So the thing about Alzheimer's, a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease with a family is that it's not just the one person who has the Alzheimer's who has Alzheimer's disease. 
it's really that what, what happens is the, the dynamics of it is that the entire family has Alzheimer's disease because there's a new world, a new normal that has to occur with, with that person. And everyone, you know, comes together, uh, all your loved ones come together and become involved in, in that person's life uh, 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 with respect to living with that disease. And, and so uh, on my, my kids' part, they, they, they have, uh, you know, the role that they play um, in it. But uh, for, my, uh, for my wife, uh, she, does, uh, um, she does a lot of road trips with me. Um, because I do a lot of public speaking, um, and uh, as part of my advocacy work, uh, I do a lot of public speaking, a lot of uh, engagements, uh, a lot of peer-to-peer uh, -peer work. Um, but uh, Kim has been unbelievable. My wife, Kim, Kimberly, has been unbelievable with respect to really being uh, someone who really participates uh, you know, uh, uh, across the board with me. Uh, with my advocacy work, and uh, and she's great. She's actually had some opportunities to speak to very large crowds about uh, her role as a uh, caregiver, uh, care um, pardon me, a care partner, and what what that mean, what that has meant to her, and um, and uh, the role of a, a caregiver, care partner. Well, that's really the 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 power I think of. Um speaking out and uh, when families um, work together to, to build awareness and the Alzheimer's Association too, um, because it's that awareness that gets other people um, um, mo moving forward with thinking about whether it's diagnosis or um, funding, uh, helping raise funds. There are so many things people can do and it <clears throat> keeps the people who have Alzheimer's from going through it totally alone. It, 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 it's a big impact on society. So, it, it will help if society um, uh, rallies to the cause. And you yes. yourself have. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say yes, and indeed, and and you know, we we categorize it. Uh, when I say we, the 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 people, the community, the the the, the various organizations, it, it is a public health crisis because it's such a drain on society. Um, it, you know, the the people. Uh, the people uh, aren't the, the drain. It's it's the cost of it. It's the human cost of it. It's it's the emotional cost of it. It's the financial cost of it. That that's what's the that's the drain on society, and that's why it's such a public health crisis. But, but please go go on with, with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to your point there, um, I know that there's a number like something. Um, I've heard them say at the National Institutes of Health, I believe, every 57 seconds somebody's diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. I may be off a little bit, but it's an awful lot of people. And they, I've seen the numbers of they present to Congress when they're looking for funding for the NIH, who does a great job in doing the research that someday will help us get the um, treatments into clinical trials. And they they talk about the cost of Alzheimer's disease in our society in um so many millions of dollars, uh, just the cost of medical care, and then so many more millions of dollars for the, the lost wages and the lost opportunities and the people no longer able to be productive, contributing, tax-paying members of society uh, in the way they would have been if there hadn't been Alzheimer's. So this enormous impact uh, financially on society gives legislators 
uh, something to um, be motivated by and making some whatever they can do to support, which often involves funding the National Institutes of Health, that that funding it, is, is going to help. It, indeed. And, and and that's why I work so hard with my state and federal legislators to get the uh, appropriate um, uh, uh, bills, uh, uh, pieces of legislation and bills uh, supported and, and, and passed uh, at the state and federal level so that we can build a better infrastructure to support our, our um, economy and also to do a better job at um, raising funds to, you know, potentially find a way to uh, slow the progression of the disease and eventually a cure uh, for for Alzheimer's disease and and for that matter, you know, many other of the neurodegenerative diseases. Um, you know, Alzheimer's makes up about 80% of the cases, but you know, there's certainly other neurodegenerative diseases like frontal temporal lobe, uh, Lewy body, vascular dementia. You know, we we need to figure out all of all, all of that. Um, and and uh, I I think the research that's being done at the Alzheimer's uh, disease level will, will eventually lead to helping those other diseases, but. You know, it's it's so it, it's vastly important that we get uh, the the funding uh, and the uh, for for research uh, to make this happen, and then also uh, uh, legislature to 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 build the infrastructure to support uh, you know how we're going to implement the, the a plan to you know overcome uh, the, the the deficits in, in the country uh that we have uh in that that basically uh uh support the the uh the issues that we're we're, we're having uh with the economy uh as it being a public health crisis yes and so the awareness generating that you do when you speak out and the alzheimer's association all the folks that um make people aware that awareness is what can lead legislators to realize this is actually uh, pervasive. It's both sides of the aisle. Um, it's not Republicans or Democrats who get Alzheimer's. It's human beings. That is often enough for um, us to get some kind of, of some kinds of change and support done when they realize this is not something that needs to be um, divisive. This is something both sides can agree on. And we see that they actually do put a lot of funding in. And I wanted to ask you about that. One of the results of funding at the NIH, if people don't know, is that it generates the pre-research that, that supports the start of clinical trials and lots of uh, it creates the science and the progress in science that will enable many of the pharmaceutical companies that we need to complete these trials to do the trial. And we had a big disruption to Alzheimer's trials earlier um, within the last um, 12 months where um, a lot of trials stopped because some of the evidence went away that um, they were going to work. And then um, one trial did get started again when they found a different way to look at the data. This brings a lot of um, hope and there's a sort of up and down roller coaster ride of patients looking who need this medicine. You yourself have been in a clinical trial that's important to you. Could you tell us about that? Certainly, and and, and uh, I, you're, you actually are speaking 
uh, the, the reference that you made really is uh, uh, it does apply to the clinical trial that that uh, I was on. It's uh, it's Biogen's um, uh, what they're calling the aducanumab um, uh, drug, uh, and uh, I was in it for three three years, uh, thirty six months, uh, and when it abruptly ended. Uh, because uh, there was a, a futility analysis that had occurred that has suggested that the drug was not going to meet its primary endpoint of improving cognition in individuals. However, it had already been proven that it does uh, slow the progression of the amyloid plaque uh, and remove uh, a plaque that's already there. So you know, that's a major plus. Uh, however, it didn't meet the FDA uh, uh, primary endpoint of actually improving cognition. Um, and so at that point, uh, they, they basically, they had, because of that, uh, they decided to... Uh, terminate the, the trial. Um, however, uh, that was in March of 2019, but in October of 19, after several months of analyzing uh, smaller data sets in conjunction with larger data sets, they were able to establish that the drug, in, the drug in, in fact, was working uh, because they had two paths. They had uh, uh, two paths. They had an engaged and then emerge. There are two different names. And so what happened was they, they looked at the, the uh, a data set from a larger infusion uh, milligram percentage, and they, uh, they, they basically established that people who were on this um, uh, uh, basically infusion uh, um, milligrams uh, per body weight were actually uh, showing improvement. And so what they did was they reopened the, the clinical trial uh, and all of the people who were on it in the past were given the opportunity to go back into the trial open label, meaning everyone who was on it uh, were, were allowed to come back into the trial, get, getting the, the uh, infusions at the, the 10 milligrams uh, per kilograms body weight, and they... Uh, um, they were all going to get the medication uh, rather than, you know, some getting the placebo, some getting the medication. So everyone who's in the clinical trial again now is on, actually on the medication. So, you know, that, that really, you know, that, that's a, it, it, it was, um, uh, you know, it, it was a gut punch when they, when they actually, uh, you know, canceled it the first time because myself and many other people, who are on the clinical trial and and were uh, on the medication saw an improvement um, in our lifestyle, our cognitive abilities, et cetera. Um, and so when they canceled it, it was really it was it, it was uh, yeah it was a gut punch. But you know we took some time uh, and then when they came back in the October, they uh, they uh, uh, began to uh, redosing. Um, uh, yeah, it was it, it was uh, phenomenal for for all of us uh, to to get back on that medication. I I just so happened to be the first person in, in the world to get the medication, 
for the for the new trial. I, I was uh, I, uh, for some reason Biogen and my trial center picked me as as number one. So uh, I've been on it uh, the longest um, uh, for for this new trial, and uh, you know I I feel great. I, the medication I believe is working, and uh, they they just uh, recently submitted uh, the uh, medication to the FDA for final approval. So, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, within uh, a matter of time, it'll, uh, it'll be approved by the FDA and then ready for prime time. Um, that's a very compelling, um, um, story about the value of clinical trials to patients. People hear about clinical trials, but when you're a patient and that's your source of medicine, um, it's, it's vital, and when trials are held up, it can be um, quite upsetting. And when it happens because of science and safety, that of course is something we all understand. But sometimes that even happens. The trials are held up because of funding freezes. When um, the politicians in Washington begin to argue about budgets and sequester funds and so forth, this has happened in the um, in recent memory. So it, it's just that much more important for the average citizen to to be aware of clinical trials as a source of medicine, as a source of treatment and cures, and to support that infrastructure, um, or at least not work against it. Um, what are the main things you want people to know about Alzheimer's? Uh, I I think that with regard to um, the disease itself is number one is that. Um, it is, it's a disease like other disease. With respect to it, 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 it it's, it's a neurodegenerative disease. Um, it, it is a disease that one, a person will have. Um, another person may have a disease like uh, um, um, diabetes uh, and so on and so forth. But but it is it is a, a disease, and it's something that those of us who live with this disease we shouldn't be ashamed of it. We should be, um, you know, we should be able to say, yeah, I have Alzheimer's disease, and not feel ashamed that we're going to be stigmatized. And those people, uh, and people who who um, who uh, you know, people shouldn't stigmatize people with with uh, Alzheimer's disease because that's actually a big topic in a lot of diseases. The um, the when people stop and look at what the impact of stigma, it really holds back progress for individual patients. It can be disastrous if they don't want to come out and be diagnosed or access medicine they're entitled to, or their families don't want to uh, help them. But also to society in general that diseases, um, science can be slowed down. Public policy that these legislators put in can be slowed down. If there's a stigma, if they feel like this isn't a disease that, you know, in the past we've had diseases, legislators didn't feel deserve treatments. Yeah, and I, I think part of the problem there is that, or part of the issue is that the most of the clinical trials that are being worked on right now, the medical clinical trials are being worked on or or uh being done with younger onset 
uh, uh, folks like myself at a very early stage. Mm-hmm. And and the and part of the issue is is that people who are beginning to show signs at a very younger age, like myself, um, don't like to admit that there are problems, and so and, and so they go into this denial phase, and um, and because of because they know that there is a stigma against people with with a dementia. And so they're not, they, they deny that they have the disease and certainly they're unwilling to go into clinical trials which is, or, or, or getting early diagnosis, which is the, the two most important things for us to help, you know, eradicate this disease. So if we can do a better job of saying, hey, you know, you, you're, you're, you're 50 years old, you're showing signs of symptoms, symptoms of, uh, of a, a, a dementia, Let's figure out what it is. It's it's okay. It's a disease just like any other. We you have an opportunity to go into a clinical trial that is uh, is well established and could potentially save your life and many many millions of other lives. So you know that's that's the way you know our society and our culture should be pitching it. Not you know you know there's something wrong with you. You there's there could be you know, uh, something psychologically wrong with you, you know, because, you know, people, um, there's stigmas attached to that as well. So part of my job as an advocate and as a spokesperson is to let people know that, you know, this disease does not define who you are. What defines who you are is, for me, is the last 50 years of my life. Um, before I had my disease, but now this is part of who I am. Uh, p- part of who I am now is a person living with disease, but also helping other people who are living with the disease. And so, I think anyone who is young and has been diagnosed with with uh, with Alzheimer's disease, they 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 are in a position to help break down the walls, the stereotypes, and the the, the stigma of the disease so that we can do a better job um, at, at all levels to get people engaged. I, I would just like to say, um, and, and we're running out of time now, but um, what uh, an inspiring thing it is to have a spokesperson like you, um, the way that you can frame this and clarify and bring awareness to the cause and the way that you can, you have a point of view and give people a call to action that is meaningful to so many. And I think that can um, benefit so many that you're doing that. So thank you you. very much for speaking with us today, Jeffrey. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for allowing me to bring my voice to the table. We've been speaking today with Mr. Jeffrey Borghoff. This is Steve Smith, WCG Patient Radio. Special thanks to our executive producer, Lauren Osmore, and production team Isabel Andresen and Roxana Guilford-Blake, our technical director, David Fogel, and head of studio, Amy Hutnick. Goodbye, everybody.